All righty. Good morning, everyone. I appreciate you joining us for our premiere episode of the week ahead, uh, where we intend to, of course, talk about things that are important for Texas taxpayers or taxpayers in general to know as we approach the week. We are joined for our premiere episode by our fearless leader, Tim Harden, President CEO of Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Good morning, Tim. How are you? Doing great, Jeremy. How are you doing? Doing okay, doing okay. We also have a special guest, friend of ours, of course, Vance Ginn, a PhD economist. He's a research com contributor here at Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Um, he is chief economist or senior fellow at multiple think tanks across the country, former associate director for economic policy at the White House's Office of Management and Budget between 2019 and 2020, and works to provide free market solutions that let people prosper and he resides with his family, perhaps in his most important role as a father and husband in Round Rock, Texas. Vance, we appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks. Hey, Jeremy, it's a pleasure with you and Tim this morning. And of course, my name is Jeremy Kitchen. I'm the executive director here at Texans for Fiscal Responsibility. Uh, appreciate everyone's patience as we kind of work through our premiere episode here. Um, we intend for this to be about 10, 15 minutes. Um, and today we're going to talk about the upcoming State of the State Address uh, for Governor uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and what Texas taxpayers should expect out of that. And then, of course, the recently assigned House and Senate committee assignments uh, for the Texas legislature and what that might mean for Texas taxpayers going forward, as well as potentially a few other things. And then if time permits, maybe some questions and answers. So let's go ahead and get into it. We'll start with uh, Governor Abbott's State of the State Address. Now, of course, that is scheduled for Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Um, and you can find uh, there's a litany of next star uh, stations, television stations, a lot of local news stations that will carry it. And then, there's, of course, some um, uh, websites that will carry it. But, you know, as we as we get the legislative session started, this is kind of a process by which the governor really lays out in front of the public, in front of Texans, kind of his priorities uh, for the legislative session. Obviously, we've gotten some hints to that um, in recent months. But uh, Vance, if you don't mind kind of starting us off on maybe what you think think uh, will certainly be mentioned and then why that's important for Texas taxpayers. Yeah, Jeremy, I mean, I think um, we're all interested in what's going to come up and, you know, what the emergency items are going to be, um, which, of course, you can start working on. The legislature can start working on you know, pretty much immediately. Um, you don't have to wait the full 60 days and, and then wait till later on in the session to really get, get going. Um, so I think he'll, lay, he'll, of course, lay some of those out. But what he's talked about a lot, of course, um, in, his, in his speeches um, have been school choice. Uh, I think that'll be a big one. I'm not sure if that'll be an emergency item or not. It'd be great if it would be, but hopefully there'll be a big push for universal school choice, probably through education savings accounts, I think would be the ideal scenario. So I think we'll hear a lot about that. Parental empowerment will be the words, probably the used words that are probably used quite a bit. Um, my guess is there'll be a lot of discussion about the, the border and border security, um, possibly asking for more funds for what's going on there as President Biden, the Biden administration have continued to not do much along the border. <laughs> they visited one time, I guess now, but haven't done much otherwise. Um, and then property tax relief, I think, will be another big one that we'll hear a lot about um, because people are having an affordability issue across this great state of Texas. And that's the one area where I think the legislature could do a lot of good on tax relief this session, considering there is, you know, 30 plus 
billion dollars worth of uh, surplus, you know, taxpayer dollars that have been over collected from the taxpayers should go back to the taxpayers. And so I, I know we've been working on some things there too, but those are the big kind of three things that I, that I would think he'll talk about. Tim, what are your thoughts from the perspective of Texans for fiscal responsibility? What are your thoughts as to uh, what he will say on Thursday night and then what will the legislature act on going forward? Uh, I, I would I would say that obviously we're going to be focused on that property tax relief. I think, um, you know, the, the biggest narrative we've heard from everyone is they're going for the biggest historical tax cut in Texas. We've written extensively about this. Um, right now, the number seems to be uh, what they're saying is $15 billion in property tax relief. We had uh, Representative Guerin come out a few days ago and, and say $18 billion. Of course, you know, with that number, we know that they're using old compression in that number. So the, the actual number from that 15 billion in our budget right now is actually 9.7, 5.3 billion of that is old compression from 2019. And so based on our calculations, if, if they in fact are going to give the biggest quote unquote, you know, historical property tax cut in Texas, if we add an in inflation, it is around $20 billion. Uh, if you don't consider inflation, then it's right around that $15 billion mark. And so I would assume if they if they talk property taxes, they are going to be talking about this biggest historical cut in property taxes. I certainly think they're going to do something. Um, you know, what I uh, am, am focusing on and what TFR is focusing on is, is really that statement Abbott made and something we've been advocating for, which is the elimination of property taxes. We we oppose them because they're immoral, uh, because it's, it's essentially equates to uh, paying rent to the government perpetually. And uh, if those who remember or have seen our, our little video clip that we play over and over again, Abbott in his uh, last statement uh, with the debate with Beto uh, basically said his goal is to eliminate school property taxes so people can actually own their property. And this is something he said in, or alluded to in the past. Uh, and, and, you know, one of our core goals for this session would be putting us on a path towards elimination. Of course, we're going to support any property tax reform that comes our way, whether that's a, a one-time buy-down, but preferably, and, and like I said, from a moral standpoint, we need to start phasing away from property taxes so people can actually own their home. And so what I would like to see him uh, say is repeat that phrase, right? That, that the goal is to eliminate specifically this session maintenance and operations, right? And there's a number of bills out there uh, that would do that. I think Schaefer has one, Trockler has one, Kane has one, and there's a few others as well. Uh, so we would like to see at bare minimum a path towards MO elimination, whatever form that may take. And of course, as much of that surplus as Vance alluded to, there's 30 plus billion dollars in there. And so we would like to see as much of that used as possible as far as you know what they're going to do that's going to be dependent on a lot of things. There's been, uh, you know, language and rhetoric that they don't want to break the spending cap, which, of course, as an organization, we are for breaking the spending cap. If it is going to provide property tax relief, that would that would be the constitutional uh, spending cap. And so uh, we will see. I anticipate that as of right now, uh, you know, Abbott is certainly going to keep pushing that historical narrative. And I would anticipate that there's probably going to be at least a few more billion dollars thrown on top of that, quote unquote, 15 billion, really 9.7 uh, billion, uh, maybe three to four billion more uh, thrown. That'll keep us right under the cap. Vince, do you mind? I don't, I don't want to embellish this subject too much, but, you know, you speak pretty frequently about how 
property taxes have kind of created this, what you call an affordability crisis in Texas. Do you mind just very briefly kind of talking through that and what that might mean for not only Texas taxpayers, but just Texans in general? Yeah, Jeremy, I mean, I think it's a major thing that we're all facing. <laughs> uh, all those that are in this group and, and others that are out there in Texas and really across the nation, as we've seen prices skyrocket all around us. Um, a lot of this is inflationary from what Congress has done and overspending and what the Fed has done and overprinting of money. Um, and, but those are D.C. issues that are contributing to higher prices and higher rents here. But it's also the higher property taxes. I mean, the higher that your property taxes go, the more costly it is to own a home, the more costly it is to rent an apartment um, as the landlord passes along those um, higher property taxes in the form of rent. And so it's just kind of one thing after another. And if you look at the median home value in Texas and you look as a share of <clears throat> income across the state, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you, you see that this is one of the highest um, that we've had where that ratio is the highest, meaning we've been, this is the most unaffordable situation we've had in about two decades. Um, you have to really go back, uh, oh, actually three decades, when you consider probably the 1980s, 1990s, whenever interest rates were soaring in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, it really drove up a lot of the affordability prices around us. And we're seeing that again today. And that's why, you know, as Tim alluded to and really pointed at, was that we really got to find a way to eliminate property taxes. I've been working on this for more than a decade, <laughs> looking at different ways of doing this. I'm glad to see there's as much, you know, momentum going in that direction. And I'm hopeful that given the large surplus that we have right now and the opportunity to really provide some relief the taxpayers from this affordability crisis that this is the time to do it we've got to do it now you speak about an opportunity and we alluded to the the bills earlier those bills of course as you know through the texas legislative process will go through committees they'll be referred you know the house the texas house of representatives assigned committees speaker date feeling assigned committees last week uh the texas senate via the lieutenant governor lieutenant governor dan patrick assigned them two or three weeks ago um, let's, I guess, kind of very briefly go through, you know, the, the, all the committees are important, obviously, depending on the kind of pet issue that anyone follows for our purposes, most bills that we're specifically interested in, we'll go through things like the house appropriations or Senate finance committees when it comes to the base budget proposals, maybe a few other things like the supplemental budget, that sort of stuff, taxing bills by and large, will go through the House Ways and Means Committee. And of course, you know, in the Senate side, you've got things, they, they set aside a kind of separate Senate local government committee. Um, I think last session was its first uh, session that it was stood up. Um, let's kind of go through, I guess, uh, Tim, if you don't mind, we'll start with you, kind of talk through what we think, you know, based on the makeup of those committee assignments now, what we think that means maybe potentially for taxpayers um, on things like property tax relief or elimination, uh, right, the base budget pro proposals, that sort of thing. Sure, yeah. So, you know, I think first and foremost, it's 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 good to go ahead and mention that, you know, when we look at the GAA, both from the, the Senate and the House, they're nearly identical, right? And so I think, uh, you know, most people are paying attention. It looks like a lot of this stuff is kind of already baked into the cake uh, that they've kind of already made these decisions. I think they've left themselves a little bit of wiggle room uh, staying under that cap. I think there's about four billion currently uh, to stay under that constitutional cap. And so I think, you know, if we see, you know, any any more progress on something like property tax reform in the budget, uh, we're going to be capped at about three or four billion in additional unless they come through and, and actually, you know, start cutting the size of government, making cuts to other 
other programs. Uh, as far as the makeup of the 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 committees, especially you know the House committees, you know when we look at um, who has uh, made up the appropriations and ways and means, um, according to our index, uh, most of them are career F's. Uh, and so uh, not that every single person in these committees is a bad person, but uh, historically, they have not voted for limited government. They have typically voted to grow government, to add to our budget. Uh, and this is why they have career F ratings. Um, you know, they might be different on social issues. I know we have uh, one of our taxpayer champions, Matt Schaefer, who's no longer on appropriations uh, as well. And so, you know, what does this tell us or does this forecast? Um you know, what what we're going to get in the budget, I would say, you know, based on kind of the ratings and the people that are on there, it's very unlikely we're going to get a, a, a whole lot of movement. I think what we're going to end up getting is kind of what's been uh, kind of baked in. And I think we saw that with uh, Representative Guerin uh, when he said, hey, we're, we're looking at 18 billion. What that tells me, if you read between the lines, is very likely what they have allowed is about three billion more in property tax whether that's more homestead exemption or more compression, uh, that is yet to be seen. Uh, but I think that's about the best we're going to get uh, with these committees over in the House side, at least. Vance, uh, maybe you could speak to that as well. Obviously, you know, as someone who's worked in this space and, and worked with a lot of these lawmakers on these same committees, you know, it's I'm not saying we're getting mixed signals. It does appear that even though the House and Senate budgets budget proposals are generally the same, you do have someone like Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick uh, speaking seemingly more about the need for a homestead exemption increase, uh, maybe more than you see um, the House Speaker, Dade Phelan, who, to my knowledge, has has kind of spoken more about the appraisal reform side of that. Um, should we read into that too much? What are your thoughts? Yeah, you, you know, Jeremy, I think, um, look, I've been researching this issue for a number of years now. Um, the, the best way to go is to is to really lower the rates. That way, everyone, right? So we're talking about compression of the school district maintenance and operations property tax rate. When you do that, that benefits everyone, right? Whether you're, um, whether you have a home, whether you have a business, um, whether you have a, a property where you have rent, right? Where you're paying rent. Whereas the homestead exemption, when you raise that, yes, it, it, it provides benefit to the individual who has a primary residence. That's where they get the benefit of that. They've talked about raising the homestead exemption for school districts from $40,000 today up to 70,000. So that's additional $30,000 of value that could be exempted, which will help out you know, some, some folks that are out there. Um, but, but of course that's gonna be eaten away really quickly with how much valuations have been going up recently um, and things of that nature. And so if you look at the percentage, the compression of the rate, you start buying that down, then that way you can actually get to zero. Because of course our, our goal is to eliminate property taxes. It's very difficult to do that by raising the homestead, especially in dollar value. Because you'd have to go up to you know, a million, 1.5, 2 million. I mean, you have to go up to a substantial amount. That way only a few number of people are paying for it. And so you're really narrowing the base, which could reduce or uh, lengthen the time that you actually can, can eliminate these property taxes. So the way to get to zero then is to, is to reduce that rate, compress the rate down. And so I know that the, um, Lieutenant Governor Patrick has talked about raising the homestead exemption. I think the Senate likes that quite a bit. Uh, they've worked on that with Senator Betancourt in the past, but I'm hopeful that they can get more on the compression side of things. And, and look, I mean, the appraisal part needs some work. There was some work done in 2019 
to help um, provide more transparency. So maybe there's something else they can do in the meantime. But look, at the end of the day, we've got to make sure the rates are compressed with as much money of this as possible, um, or we're not going to have substantial relief to, to, to Texas across this great state. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Well, uh, for the sake of time here, wanted to remind folks that this week, right, uh, because now the committees have been formed, uh, you have the House Appropriations Committee has scheduled two hearings this week, uh, one starting tomorrow and then another one Wednesday uh, to discuss things like the biennial revenue estimate given by Comptroller Hager the day before the legislative session start, things like the ESF the, uh, or the, the rainy day fund, as it's known, and uh, really start to get their work done on, or at least started on the House budget proposal. You've, of course, got the Senate Finance Committee, who has already been holding a series uh, of, of hearings, um, of course, weather permitting uh, with everything that happened, uh, I guess, last week or the week before. But um, they will continue to have hearings this week as well on their version of the base budget, uh, various articles um, of the budget there. So it's important to know that. Now, the House side, there is it's only invited testimony, so the public, um, public itself won't be able to testify. But for those that are interested, you can testify for the remainder of the Senate Finance Committee hearings um, on those uh, on those respective uh, articles that they're discussing, if you're interested in that. Um, of course, we're just getting the legislative session started, right? As we've talked about many times before, the bill filing deadline is not until Friday, March 10th. Um, and so you really won't see too much movement on the committee side, barring uh, potentially any approach to the emergency items from uh, named by the governor until that point. And of course, that marks 60 days into the 140-day legislative session. So it's important for folks uh, to know that. The last thing I, I think it's worth mentioning uh, to folks from the perspective of our organization um, is uh, we just we announced our legislative priorities officially last week. Obviously, we talked about these things uh, for several months, but we uh, uh, distributed them to lawmakers uh, last week. You can find those on our website, texastaxpayers.com. Uh, Vance, you were gracious enough to write a research paper that kind of bolstered a lot of that up. That got published this morning. We'll share that out via social to a lot of an and email to our subscribers, what have you. But I, I implore folks to go and check that out that you can, of course, find that on our website um, as well. And that really just kind of speaks to a lot of the problems we've talked to talked about today, um, among several other things. Um, and it basically explains how the frozen Texas budget path, as we call it, uh, can be used to actually eliminate property taxes. And so I uh, certainly encourage folks to uh, to go do that. Um, I, barring anything else that y'all have to say, gentlemen, um, I appreciate everyone joining joining us this week for our premiere episode of the week ahead. We will do these weekly, um, I believe at 9 a.m. on Monday going forward, at least through the duration of the 88th legislative session. As the session really gets going, uh, obviously we're going to have um, a lot more to talk about. Uh, you know, hopefully they will pursue things that we talked about on the call today, uh, but appreciate everyone joining us this week. If you have any questions or anything, uh, make sure to put those in there. We've got maybe one second. We've got a request here from Tom Slocum. Tom, if you don't mind, uh, I'll preview real quick. If you don't mind being brief and succinct with your question, we'll try to get folks to uh, to answer it. Here you go. Hey, yeah, I, I have a question about some legislation that's been uh, bandied about, talked about, discussed about on the floor and by the governor and the lieutenant governor um, <clears throat> discussing the rules uh, with ERCOT and the PUC. And uh, the senator who was arrested for DWI, who will no longer be the chair of that committee, 
I'm very interesting, uh, very interested in what <clears throat> the governor and the lieutenant governor think about these rules and what should happen because Abbott had made a statement that he didn't want that committee to actually take up this legislation at all. He just wanted to prove what Ercot had uh, had finalized essentially in their eyes and as the PUC liked it. So do you all have any take on what's going on with that particular piece of legislation? That's the one thing I keep my eyes on uh, right now during this session. I, I, I wanna make sure that we don't become a subsidized energy state. We're already subsidizing energy in DC. If we start subsidizing energy here in Texas to the tune of $5 billion a year, that's that's not good for Texans. It's no way it's good. Sure, I, I appreciate that question, Tom. I, I, I don't know, and Tim, Feel free to chime in here. I don't know that we have an official position. I believe, to my knowledge, um, you know, I obviously we had seen everything you had talked about. I know the lieutenant governor, I believe it was last week, kind of gave the subtle threat of like, if he doesn't get his way on his side of this issue, uh, he could potentially hold us over to a special legislative session. Vance, Tim, do y'all have any opinion or position um, on this sort of thing? Am I missing anything there? No, Jeremy, I think you hit on it. And, um, and, and Tom, it's good to hear from you. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful, too. That we, look, we have a somewhat deregulated market, <laughs> which has worked out quite well for a number of years. And if anything, we need to be going after these subsidies and tax breaks and everything else to unreliable sources of energy. Um, the more that we can be, I guess, dependent, right, or use, probably a better word, of thermal sources, natural gas and um, nuclear and things of that nature, coal, that we're going to be better off. I mean, that if you looked over just a couple weeks ago when we had that freeze here, the, the ice apocalypse this time <laughs> with all the tree limbs down around central Texas. I mean, you know, if you looked at it, it was 80, 90 plus percent was used as thermal energy. And so if we're, if we're moving to a capacity market or something along those lines, that's going to have more government involvement. That's going to make our situation worse off. So we need to make, ensure that we have as much of a free market situation as possible and try to fight back all those subsidies and, and production tax credits from the federal government. I mean, that is just uh, a nuisance for us have <laughs> longer term for what we really need to be doing here in, in Texas with our electricity market. The only thing I will add is, you know, if, if you paid attention to what Lieutenant Governor has been saying, um, he has absolutely made, you know, uh, ERCOT uh, a priority. Uh, and I think more specifically, you mentioned subsidies and corporate welfare, of which, of course, we oppose in, in all realms. It doesn't matter where, where it's coming from, where we're against them uh, morally. Uh, but if you watched his uh, press conference, this was at the beginning of session. It was, it was a while back. Uh, he he actually did allude to Lieutenant Governor uh, Patrick. It did allude to that if they have to incentivize, uh, you know, to build uh, more facilities or to improve facilities, uh, he seemed to be open to that, uh, which is not something you want to hear. He has not said anything about that since, um, but he certainly kind of alluded to that in the first press conference, which of course we would oppose uh, that. Uh, but it certainly uh, it certainly looks like they're going to do something, um, but that's. That's about as far as my knowledge goes on that one. We have time for maybe one more question. If there's an additional question out there, I'll give it a few seconds for anyone to request as much.
Okay, well, everyone, we appreciate you joining us for our inaugural premiere episode um, of the show. Like I said, to reiterate, we will do this weekly 9 a.m. on Mondays going forward, at least through the duration of the 88th legislative session. Uh, appreciate you joining us. As a reminder, you can find all of our content to include uh, Vance's research paper and what have you and contributions on our website, TexasTaxpayers.com, TexasTaxpayers.com. And of course, we're on all social media platforms generally at Texas taxpayers. You can find us there. We appreciate everyone joining us this morning. I hope you have a great week.